Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. So I'm going to warn you guys up front that this is another episode that people may be thinking, are they talking about my practice? Because this one is more common than it than it seems. Um, we have a practice owner who wrote in asking us some questions about managing a situation in their practice with a newer associate who's joined the team within the last year and who seems to really be struggling with self-confidence. This vet is an excellent clinician, and yet they are constantly worrying that anytime someone questions um, a drug dose or discharge instructions on the team, that it means that the team thinks that they're not a good doctor. And in fact, they have made comments to the team that they don't think that they are a good doctor. And so it seems like the belief in their own self-identity about being a good doctor is really fragile. And so this practice owner is wondering, how do I support this associate? How do I help them? How do I mentor them so that they understand, I believe they're a good doctor? And how do we get it to the point where the team doesn't feel like they're walking on eggshells? Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke. And Stephanie, what's wrong with being confident, Goss? <laughs> Oh, how's it going, Andy? Oh man, it's pretty good. good. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm getting ready to do a premature Thanksgiving. Uh, we do two Thanksgivings at my house. I told you it's my favorite holiday. Nice. Um, yeah, I uh, we travel uh, a couple weeks ahead of Thanksgiving yep. to uh, rendezvous with my side of the family, and then on Thanksgiving Day, uh, we have uh, Thanksgiving with my wife's side of the family, which oh. I, I highly recommend. If you're a Thanksgiving fan um, <laughs> and you're only having one Thanksgiving, I think you're missing a trick. Two sides to your family. I think you should honor both of them by having Thanksgiving twice. And that's what that's what we do. Yeah. Or have uh, Friendsgiving and then and then have, you know, Thanksgiving yourself. I got invited today to one of my friends. Uh, she's having um, Return of the Mac and Cheese Bake Off is nice. what she calls it. Um, yeah. And I got I got the invitation. It says from six to midnight. And I'm like, midnight? Good God, that's crazy talk. I think I'm 20. Like, the days of <laughs> the days of me being in a celebration until midnight are over. Like, it's like I, I, people better show up and get to work on their mac and cheese because Andy's leaving at nine. Uh, that's that's what's going <laughs> it's gonna happen there. Uh-huh. But but I'm gonna be there because uh mac and cheese. Oh man. You know, that's one of the things that I actually love about being old now is I feel like when I do hang out with my friends, there is not a pressure to stay up until midnight or one in the morning anymore. It's like nine o'clock. Hey, how you feeling? Can we all go home now? Yep, let's go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I remember when we used to, like, we wouldn't leave to go out until after nine. Oh, God. And now I'm like, that's ridiculous. Yes, right? I can't, I can't hang. I never have been uh, one, my, like, my whole life. I don't think I stayed up until midnight on New Year's Eve until I was uh, probably, honestly, in my early 20s. Like, I've always been <laughs> an early to bed person. And uh, I think probably the first time I did, like, a stay out, stay up until 2 or 3 a.m. was, when I turned 21 and I now I just I love the fact that I can go out and I can do things and I can be home by nine by nine or yeah. ten, 10 is pushing I, it <laughs> I remember I remember holding on to my youth and like I would I'd be out of the club and it'd be midnight and I'd be yawning <laughs> and finally someone was like what are we doing here I just want to go home yes like I think these one of the things I didn't want to admit that I was the old person who goes to bed before midnight and I'm like at some point, I'm like, look, I'm only hurting myself here. No one yeah. else cares. I'm going, <laughs> going home. Totally and, true. Uh, yeah, and we uh, and we have Thanksgiving at my parents' house. That was another thing. We had, uh, so switching back a little bit, uh, you know, we used to always get the family together at my parents' house. And and then I and then I had kids. And then my brother had, and my brother got married. And then uh -huh. my brother had kids. And like, and, and at some point, uh, it was really this interesting. Is It's comparable to standing in the club yawning. Uh, incessantly at midnight, uh, we were just packed into this house, and someone was like, "This is ridiculous. What are we doing here?" <laughs> and uh, so now we now we just VRBO it, um, nice. and just we're like, "Oh, you know what? 
we let's just get, get a, house a bigger house that everybody fits in. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, and, and and we can get it midway between us, which Love is it. great. So yeah, we just, we got a house in the middle, kind of in between me and my brother and my parents, and we're just gonna go there and uh, and throw down in this big house that's gonna fit everybody for that's three awesome. days, and then we'll be done. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm thinking about it. Super excited. Oh man! All right, well, let's do some work here. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a good one. We got a message from the mailbag, um, and what I liked about this one was that this is this is a question that I've kind of heard asked different ways a lot over the last couple years because it has to do with confidence and uh belief in in oneself and so i thought it would be a good one for us to talk about we have a practice owner who wrote in and is struggling because they have an associate vet on their team who is relatively newer and uh the the new doctor is in this practice owner's words, an exceptional doctor. And yet mm-hmm. uh, the associate seems to to lack self-confidence and it seems like they fall apart at the littlest uh, things that other people in the hospital or on the team just kind of would not think twice about or would roll off their back. This associate takes really uh, deeply and personally. And um, in particular, they really struggle when the the technicians on the team um, or the assistants will ask questions like, uh, you know, are is that the dose we're sending? Or like, you know, try and double check drug, drug dosages or question uh, a med that's being used or something like that. They're doing it as a double check, right? And there's good intention behind why they're asking the question. But this associate vet just takes it so personally to the point where they are, you know, beside themselves and wanting to to leave after having a discussion with a technician over uh, questioning a drug dose. And so um, this practice owner was like, I really, really like this doctor and I really, really like my technician team. And the doctor is feeling beat up on and feeling like if I when when this practice owner tried to talk about it, uh, the associate doctor was was really frustrated because they were like, well, of course you believe them. They've been here longer than me. And the practice owner was so frustrated when they wrote this because they were like, I, I'm not trying to take sides. I want my technicians to be empowered to do their jobs. And if they um, have a question about a dose or a, a medication, whether it's appropriate for a patient, I want this to be a safe workplace where they can speak up and ask those questions. And I want this doctor to feel respected and I want them to feel confident in themselves. And so they were asking, how do I, how do I manage this going forward without feeling like I just have to tell the team, don't, don't question this doctor, don't make them feel bad. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You you can't do. So let's, so let's start at the very beginning here. Uh, It's, it's not, to me it's contrary to a healthy culture to have someone who we have to walk on eggshells around yeah right and we've all had those that person in in our personal life or in our work life and we're like oh i I mean honestly it gets down to it we we have to handle this person with kid gloves and it's frustrating uh it it is super frustrating so i you know i I, and then it's not good for the doctor right so uh, we ask the question all the time like what is kind is it kind to shield this doctor from the technicians and say to the doctor, don't give her any sort of feedback because she can't handle it? Right. Is that is that good? I don't think so. And I, you don't think anyone else does either. You go, yeah. oh, no, that's that definitely is not good for the doctor. It's not good for the doctor. And, yeah. you know, in in the short term, you might be like, oh, great, we're saving her from this thing that's causing her discomfort in the long term. I'm going, you're really you've undermined her in the eyes of the staff and she's the kid glove doctor that you know that we have to tiptoe around yep um that's that's not good and and and, and i think i think most of us when i sort of put it that way probably probably get it so yeah um it's uh it this is something that that we we do we do need to address we 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 just can't have we can't have someone who can't be criticized or take feedback and it just underlines the rest of the culture right like um, you know, it just, it's just, it's a barrier to how we talk to each other. Uh, it's a barrier to trust. It's sort of like, oh, don't tell this person this thing. And I go, well, that's a, that's not a trusting 
that's not a trusting relationship. That's not a trusting culture to build. Right. You know what I mean? Um, yep. You can have a very positive culture and still have a very open culture. And I think whenever we start saying these things are off limits to discuss, um, I, I, I think I think that we're we're setting ourselves up for problems down the we're kicking the can down the road is is all we're doing. It's going to remanifest in a different way. Yeah, for sure. I I think your um your point is so true that we can be positive and we can still create safety to kind of say the things that need to be said, right? Like feedback is an invaluable tool in our toolbox in terms of working together as a, a truly as a team. And so um, I think from a headspace perspective for, for me, it has to start with looking at the fact that having psychological safety amongst the team is really important and there has to be safety on all sides. It can't just be safe for if, if this practice owner uh, who, who has their hands tied. So if, if Dr. If Dr. Hands tied goes to the team and, and says, hey, you guys just have to watch what you say, they may be helping create an illusion of safety for uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Sensitive, but it, that doesn't make it safe for the rest of the team. And that's not right. fair or equitable, right? So I think, I think the starting place is how do we try and find some middle ground because the safe, the psychological safety and the comfort level and the trust for the team as a whole is really important here. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to I step further back uh, a little bit up the chain here for a second to lay some some groundwork. Um, so why does this happen? I want to start there before we get into psychological safety, which is which is how we're going to start to fix this problem. I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to I go one step further up because this is a little soapbox I like to get on. Um, first of all, I think I think starting with empathy and compassion is always the right uh, is always the right move. Mm -hmm. And so let's step up the chain here and go, well, why does, why does Dr. Sensitive feel this way? And I'll tell you why I think. And again, I, I don't know this person. I'm shooting from the hip. I believe that in our system of training veterinarians, specifically veterinarians, um, we hold perfectionism up as the North Star, as what we aspire to. And I bet you Dr. Sensitive uh, probably didn't get a lot of Bs in her <laughs> academic career. I have no idea. Sure. I, I bet you didn't get a lot of Bs in her academic career. That there is a right answer and she got the right answer and she was rewarded for getting the right answer. And everything in her academic training pointed towards there is a right answer and you get the right answer. And to get the wrong answer is shameful. And to get the right answer is to be patted on the head and told you've done a good job and to have value and to have worth. Right. And maybe I'm oversimplifying that, but I wonder if this isn't resonating with some of you out there who went through veterinary school or college to get there or tech school or whatever. Um, I have a little bit of an ax to grind in, the, in that <laughs> I think that that is, I, I, I think that that is baked into our educational system. Yeah. And the ax that I have to grind is to go, that is incompatible with actual practice in my mind. Right. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't get good grades and we shouldn't have academic standards. It doesn't. It just means that people who thrive in academia or in the training of veterinarians because they have this hyper-focus on perfectionism, which is getting positively reinforced, slam into a wall when they come into practice and say, guess what? Surprise! There's not a right way to do this. And every practice does it differently. And it's hugely dependent on the economics of the community that you serve mm -hmm. and the culture that you serve mm -hmm. and the desires of the practice that you're in and, you know, and the the quirks and oddities of your colleagues that you work with sure. and the economic realities of the individual pet owner that walks in the door and the life experiences of the technician that you're dealing with. There's not a right answer. It's all shades of gray and mix, mash and hodgepodge. And, and yeah. I, I like the fact that we're talking more and more in our profession now about spectrum of care and how there's a lot of different ways to approach different things and do it differently. And I think that that's us as a profession starting to talk about the realities of uh, of of how we practice it, not, not being as black and white as we've presented in, in the past. Mm -hmm. And so it helps me to say that. The reason I say that is one, I... I I, I'm seeing a lot of sort of shake shake up uh, around this issue right now, spectrum of care. But then also uh, a lot of people who have kind of come in, up in that perfectionist training model, and, and they're and they're frustrated, you know, or or they they're um, yeah they they're 
maybe a bit insecure because they have this unrealistic expectation that there is a right answer and they're supposed to be perfect and they're yeah. supposed to get it. So I, I see, I just see that a lot. And so I just want to call that out. And that, just, that helps me to get into a compassionate headspace about our doctor sensitive. And, and, and then it really is about compassion. And so we move from that to psychological safety, as you said, you know, um, I don't want to shame doctor sensitive at the same way. I don't want my technicians to walk on eggshells and be uncomfortable talking to this person or giving them feedback. And honestly, it's bad for our practice to have a doctor who can't be questioned. Just think about that for a second. That's that's bad. It's bad for morale. It's bad for client safety. Like, you know. I, I like it when my techs say, are you sure this is the dose that you want to give? Because then I go, <laughs> let, let me get my calculator out. And, you know, and, and, and just to yeah. make sure, just let's, you know what I mean? I will never get upset with a tech for saying, are you sure this is the right dose? It's like, I, you know what? I'm rarely sure of anything. Uh, I, I believe it is. I did the calculator work. The fact that it looks wrong to you is enough for me to say, I am going to get the calculator back out or possibly the formulary back out. And we're going to look at this one more time because I want to get it right. And I will never be like, how, how dare, how dare you question my math when I'm doing 10 things and I'm busy and a fluid pump is screeching across the room. How dare you question me? (laughs) I'm going to do that. It's ridiculous. Right. Just, just everybody work together and take care of each other. That's what it's about. Well, anyway, that, that's, that's where we're trying to go. And I, and I think that it's, it goes back to, to your point too, about how we have to step back a little bit and look at how veterinarians are trained from the, the perfectionist perspective. And I think you're so spot on there. And I think the other piece of it is for a long time in our industry, um, it was, uh, I say you do, right? Our vet hospitals were run top down by a veterinarian. And um, we have had shifts and changes in in the medicine, in the clients, and the expectation, and all of these things that have transformed to kind of where we are now, which is that more practices than not are including licensed, educated team members mm-hmm. on their team and trying to leverage them to do their jobs. And so I think when we don't create a culture where the team is safe to second guess, we ignore uh, the screaming, blaring alarm in our face that is, we are all humans and everybody makes mistakes, even perfectionists. And mm-hmm. so the reality is, I would think as if if I had gone to vet school and I was a doctor, I sure as hell would want somebody on my team to, to say, are you sure this is what you want? Because in that moment that I wrote it down, I might have been absolutely sure, but I'm human and we make mistakes. Right. And, and, you know, I just, I think it's crazy to think that we wouldn't want to have somebody on our team say, Hey, I want to help you from making a mistake. Right. Cause that's really what's happening when a technician questions your drug dose or asks you, are you sure you want to use that drug? Or did you read the chart? Did you know they're on pred? Are you sure you want to send an NSAID? Yeah. Like, right? Yep. Like, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> do you, you do know this dog is, uh, uh, you know, yeah, on, right? on prednisone, right? You know, what, what? what? But, you know, always, always, always ask me. I just, I think right. that's a cultural thing in vet yeah. medicine, right? But, but you know, it, it's, and you see this a lot. Like, one of the classic traits, and, it's, and it's, I think it manifests the most in doctors, it manifests in, in some te- technicians and licensed technicians and managers and all human beings. But I, I think I think we see it a lot in doctors just because of the job that we have. Um, insecurity is completely understandable. Yeah, and being being insecure is not a failing because we're all insecure. Yeah, right. It's the human condition. Yes. Insecure, uh, jettisoning humility because you're insecure. That's the failing. Saying I, I say I'm I'm a bit insecure. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, hiding your insecurity. Uh, you know, behind bravado and an unwillingness to listen to anyone else or to be questioned because you're so fragile, that is that is a failing. So, yeah. so l- let's circle back around again to to compassion about this because people are often like, I'm going to bring her in, I'm gonna sit her down, I'm going to tell her the what's what, and she's going to change her attitude or whatever, and, and I go, that's going to go badly. Right. Um, <laughs> but but there, 
compassion, and again, I'm just really hitting on compassion hard on there, but, but I, this is the answer, right? It's compassion for the staff to say, they need to be able to do their job and they need to be able to question this person. Mm-hmm. And it's compassion for the patients to say, hey, we're taking the best care of our patients that we possibly can. And if you can't be questioned, then then you're putting our patients possibly in danger because you are a human being. Right. And so it's compassion for the patients. But it's also compassion for Dr. Sensitive who go, well, this person uh, clearly has insecurities about being a good vet or their, or their self-worth or their self-confidence. I mean, all of those things are what we're talking about here. And yes. so um, I, I can be I can be compassionate towards all of those people. And I should be because the first in- inclination that some people have is I'm just going to bring Dr. Sensitive in and sit her down and I'm just going to tell her the truth. Right. I'm just going to say, you have to stop doing this. And 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 our friend Dr. Phil Richmond has a, st- a saying that I have found myself using a lot recently, which is honesty without empathy is cruelty. And I, I think that you can be cruel to Dr. Sensitive at this point if you just bring him or her in and say... This is what it is, right. uh, you know, and and I'm just going to, without empathy, uh, just tell you that you're you're causing problems and you're mm-hmm. and you're frustrating the staff. And so I, I don't I don't think that I think that we can. Here's the thing: we can be compassionate and still hold people accountable. And in fact, that's what we have to do. Right. And that is the mark of a good leader, and, and the mark of a good practice is to say, I am going to be compassionate and still hold people accountable. And it's funny as you see people screw that up all yes. the time. Yes. They're either so compassionate that they don't hold people accountable. And we've all seen those those practices. And like, God, it breaks your heart because they're good people and they're right. really trying to do good. And as a result, they allow a bully to just turn the place into a toxic cesspool. And they don't, but what, what will he do if he doesn't work here? I don't know. Who the hell cares? Yeah. But like no, you know they they uh, they'll figure something out. Maybe they'll change their attitude. I don't know, but um, but you can be compassionate, and not hold people accountable, and and everything can go to to the toilet. Or you can hold people accountable without any compassion, and then people feel victimized. You know what I mean? They they don't feel heard. They don't feel empowered. They don't feel like they have a voice. They don't have any trust for leadership or management. You know, you can totally screw it up that way too. So anyway, getting the balance of compassion and accountability right, I think that's something we should all aspire to. But I think in this case, I think that's really important. And uh, I think it's critical to getting past this and getting to a better work environment. Well, and to your point about where, you know, everybody has insecurities, right? And we, we know that it's human nature. And one of the things that I think in terms of being compassionate when we when we empathize and we feel for doctor sensitive and we put ourselves in their shoes it can be really easy to say i'm just going to let this go i'm just going to let this mm-hmm. you know let's i i we're just going to make them feel better and i'm going to move on with my day and it, at the end of the day it doesn't matter how talented somebody is or how good of a doctor they are if their behavior is impacting the rest of the team and it's taking away from everybody's ability to get the work done. You, as a leader, it is my job as, as the, the boss and the, the, the hat of HR within the practice, it's my job to set up those rails for them, right? It's my job to put the boundaries in place and say, hey, I want to make you feel safe and we all still have to do our jobs. And my expectation as a practice owner is that the patients are safe. And so if a technician is worried about your drug dose, I want them to question that because patient safety is important to me, right? And that's the hard place to get to because it is really easy to get caught up in empathizing with somebody and feeling like you want to lean into compassion, especially if somebody is angry or, you know, and is, uh, I've had doctors storm out in, in anger. I've had doctors break down in, in tears, like in the face of those strong emotions, it is really hard to stand your ground and say, I totally understand your emotions and 
we still have to talk about how we're going to fix this moving forward. Like that is a really hard thing to do. Um, and I think that's why a lot of us avoid it. I certainly, I certainly have, um, you know, and when I first saw this episode and I was putting together my thoughts that I was thinking, I, I can think even very recently of a situation um, in practice where I needed to hold somebody accountable, but I put compassion for that person first and leaned too mm. far into the empathy and not far mm-hmm. enough into accountability. And as a result, other members of the team struggled and it wasn't fair to the team as a whole. It's a, it's a really, it's a really easy thing to do. So I totally, I totally get it. So, you know, if, if for those people who are listening, like know that we say this and also know that we understand this is really, really hard to do. Yeah. And you're, you're exactly right. That's it, it's it's not easy. And, and here's the other thing, too, is um, this this is one that everybody probably gets wrong. Uh, it, it's, yes. it's, it's almost impossible to do this perfectly. You know what I mean? And so it, but here's the thing. If you go if you lean into the side of compassion, you'll get another chance. You know what I mean? And and you can start the conversation and evolve it. And then what happens? You say, well, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't push hard enough on accountability because of compassion. And now I see that there's another problem or the team is, you know, having these headaches and now I'm going to have to go back and do it again. That's not the end of the world. I think we're so hard on ourselves about that, you know, and you just go, well, I mean, what if you had been compassionate and, and not done anything differently and the person had changed their behavior, which could totally happen, you know, like mm-hmm. what if, what if the approach you take had been successful? I think we always look at everything, you know, in hindsight and then we're like, well, it didn't work. And so I, sh- I obviously did something wrong. And you're like, you don't have the ability to say before you try it, this is what needs to happen or this doesn't. I think right. we all need to be more forgiving of ourselves. But again, if you lean into compassion, you tend to have second chances. And if you lean away from compassion, uh, you may not get those second chances because people uh, people react more strongly when they get held accountable and don't feel like they're understood or they're or they're being heard. So I don't know. Th- that's it. The, the last the last sort of thing I would say from a headspace standpoint in in uh, in conversations like this is, I would advocate for shifting your mindset if you're the doctor who's going to try to sort this out. Try to shift your mindset away from this being a disciplinary problem and shift it more to a development problem. Yeah. Right? This is, it's easy to look at it and say, well, we have got to fix doctor sensitive because she is not acting the way she should and we need to hold her accountable mm-hmm. and and i get it and it's it very easy i think that's how most of us would probably think about it and feel about it initially i can tell you that you're going to have a much better time and things are going to go much more smoothly if you instead say this is an area that doctor sensitive needs to develop in yeah and we need to work to coach Dr. Sensitive in this area and to help him or her develop and grow in this area. And this is the number one uh, personal development goal that I see for Dr. Sensitive in this practice. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of reasons to do that, right? It's like no one likes to be scolded and everybody likes to be grown and groomed and mentored, right? That's it. It's, you know, it's, it's funny how often we can choose uh, we choose, am I, I talk to my kids, am I busting on my kids for making a mistake or am I talking to my kids about what we're going to do next time and how, you know, and how, and how we can excel in the future, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Am I punishing or am I growing? And, and, you know, and there's, there's time for both. But I think a lot of times we see, we look at ourselves as disciplinarians when we could instead look at ourselves as coaches, mentors, and advisors and probably get to the same or a better place and also enjoy the process a lot more. Well, and I think the reason in veterinary medicine that a lot of us, a lot of, a lot of times uh, this is a big struggle too is that we have... Um, a lot of the driven perfectionist personalities that you talked about in the beginning. And we have a lot of um, introverts and a lot of quiet calm in veterinary medicine, which is a phenomenal thing in a lot of ways. And I can't tell you 
how many hundreds of people that I have met in my career who are like, I don't want to people. I don't, I don't want to be mm-hmm. in charge of having the touchy feely development conversations. I don't want to tell someone that they need to grow. Like that's where a lot of people struggle as leaders is leaning into that. Um, because you all, especially when it's a veterinarian practice owner, you went to vet school to be a vet and help pets, right? And so the fact that your job as a practice leader and as a practice owner puts you in the position of having to help the people too um, is something that is a is a big struggle. And so I think I think your point is a really good one that this is a personal development conversation and by its very nature, that means this is not going to be a one and done conversation. Like this is something that Dr. Sensitive is going to need help and support with on an ongoing basis. And that doesn't mean that you have to become a therapist. (laughs) And so that's where the accountability part comes in because it is not your job. You are not a trained therapist. It's not your job Mm -hmm. to give advice. It's not, there is a fine line between uh, coaching them and, and trying to, to unconsciously be a therapist and give advice. Right. And so, um, Mm -hmm. it is about finding that balance where you can tell them, Hey, here's the guardrails I'm putting on. Here's the boundaries. This is how I need us to show up and play as a team. And I want you to have some additional help. And so here are some resources that I can direct you to and point you to for additional support because doctor sensitive may need more than you can provide. And it's not on you as the practice owner to provide all of that, particularly if you struggle with it or feel uncomfortable. That is absolutely a great place to say, this is not my wheelhouse and I want you to be supported. And so here's the options that I can see for you for support, right? Referring them to a therapist using a, an employee assistance program, things like that to, to get help and support in ways that don't rely on you having to be something that you're not. But I do think that that plays a big role in the struggle here for a lot of us as leaders is that the hard conversations are hard. And this mm-hmm. is absolutely in that personal development uh, you know, section. And so a lot of people avoid it hoping that it's just going to go away. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And you know, what's funny is every, every week you and I come on here and people ask us questions and we talk about what needs to be done. And the thing that we're really pushing that I, you know, I think most people don't realize is that while we're talking to you about how to coach and grow your employee, we're also putting you in a place where you're going to have to grow <laughs> and you know and and you know most of us don't have these skills you know and most of us don't no one taught us how to have these conversations and so now when stephanie goss says all right well you need to have a coaching and development conversation with dr sensitive and it may take multiple sessions and uh you should have clear expectations <laughs> that this is not going to be a quick fix and you're gonna have to work through it like the there is as much developmental pain for the listener to our podcast who is going to have the conversation yes. as there's going to yes. be for Dr. Sensitive when he or she gets it. Yes. Um, but it's, you know, it's just it's it's just part of being human. It's part of being a leader. Yeah. And it's part it's just part of being a lifelong <laughs> learner. You know, it's uh man, if you but if you haven't been if you haven't felt that discomfort, then you haven't pushed yourself uh, recently. And that's that's sad. Yeah. That's missing a trick. All right. Let's take a break here and then come back and let's get into the nuts and bolts. Perfect. That sounds good. Hey, everybody. I just want to jump in here for one second because I want to talk to you guys um, about someone who has been one of the best gifts that Uncharted has given me. And that is my amazing friend, Jen Galvin. For those of you guys who don't know Jen, she is a practice manager and a practice owner in Arizona. And she is fabulous. We met at the very first Uncharted and I am so so thankful that the universe brought her my way because she is smart and she is funny as all get out. She makes me belly laugh and snort laugh every time we are together and she is kind. And what I love potentially the most about Jen is how passionate she is about her team and about having a great happy place to work. And she is bringing that attitude to you. She is going to be teaching a workshop or leading a workshop in December on Sunday, December 12th from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific. She is going to be talking about how it's all fun and games. 
how to play with, engage with, and reward your team. She is going to talk about what employee engagement means, but more specifically, what does it mean to you in your practice? The group is going to brainstorm and talk about some simple ways to measure engagement within our practices. And then most importantly, what what the hell do we actually do with this when we do measure it? How do we create something that is actionable and also matters to our individual teams. We're going to brainstorm some ways that we can reward the team so that they feel appreciated in a way that resonates and matters to them. It's going to be a lot of fun. I am super excited to get to be her wingman on this, and I hope that you will come and join us. If you head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events, you can find the registration page for It's All Fun and Games. I hope to see you guys there. Now back to the podcast. Okay. Let's get into uh, fixing this. Yes. First thing, I just want to jump on it right away. It's what we said in the first half. Uh, This is a a developmental coaching conversation in my mind, Mm -hmm. more than a disciplinary conversation. Mm -hmm. I think if you you try to make this a disciplinary conversation, you're going to make people really mad. Yep. And you're going to make them really mad. And here's why. You've got an insecure person who is snapping and acting out because they're insecure. What is going to happen with the boss calls the insecure person in and criticizes them? Yes. You're going to take this to 11, you know, because now they're real insecure. Right. And they are what makes you think they're not going to use the strategy, which they have clearly shown you they use. Right. There's no reason they're going to get defensive again. And so. Yeah, and so making them feel criticized is going to be counterproductive. And that's not on you. That's on them. Right. But let's be honest about who people are and what we're up against. Just like, forget it. This is a developmental coaching conversation. We're going to start with why uh, this is important, why we're having the conversation, and what it means to be a good doctor. I think that's a big part of it. This person wants to be a good doctor. Yeah. And we need to, we need to, the first thing we need to do, especially if I've got some, someone who's insecure, the first thing that I want to do is try to provide psychological safety to them. And we're going back to that term again, but it's true. Um, people do not tend to listen to you when they feel they are in danger, right? right? Mm-hmm. Or their self-identity is in danger. And the first thing we need to do is make this person feel safe. And so tell them that, that they're a good doctor. And, and in this mailbag question, uh, we heard She's an excellent doctor. She is an outstanding doctor. And great. First thing we're going to do is we're going to make sure that she knows that we know that she is an excellent, outstanding doctor. Mm-hmm. And that is to try to lower the stakes in this conversation mm-hmm. and get to where we can talk about it without people getting defensive. And then we're going to talk about what is important and what we see as being great in our practice. Right. And so I think if someone wants to be perfect, they need to know that in our practice, being perfect is not always being right. Being perfect is being in touch with the staff and open to feedback, you know, and humble and making other people feel that their opinions and their ideas are valued mm-hmm. and that, you know, and that their knowledge is, is important and appreciated. And that's what it means to be a successful doctor here. Mm-hmm. And so that is, it's, it's communicating those things about what is, what is really important mm-hmm. and, and try to get them to a place where they can hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I think the first step is definitely having to address it head on. And I think making sure that they hear you loud and clear. And sometimes that's even saying, I feel like I have told you this before. And I also suspect with, you know, your recent actions or interactions with the team or whatever it is and insert your example there I feel like you haven't heard me and I really need you to hear me and then tell them what makes them Mm -hmm. a good doctor in your perspective. And this is where you have to get specific because clearly just hearing, I think you're a good doctor is not clicking with doctor sensitive because Mm -hmm. by this practice owner's, you know, admission, they are still continuing to doubt myself and uh, doubt themselves. And when they, when they, ask them, you know, about being, being a good doctor, they get upset. And so I think your point about asking them to creating it, creating safety to ask doctor sensitive, what they think is a good doctor Mm. is a good way to figure out where are the differences? Because clearly there is some sort of disconnect here. If the practice owner thinks this doctor, that doctor sensitive is a good doctor 
And Dr. Sensitive thinks that they're a good doctor, but there's continuing to be issues. That tells me that there's a difference. And so it's a simple matter of trying to figure out where's the difference occurring. And so give them the support, tell them what you think makes them a good doctor and ask them what, what makes a good doctor for them, you know? And, and I I think that's, I think that's a great way to draw them in. That's Um, a great way to draw them in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, you know, start the conversation out wide and, and see if you can get them talking because you are going to have to have as the conversation narrows and as you continue the conversation, because I don't think this is a one and done, you're going to have to get to the place where you do put up boundaries and give accountability, right? And so Mm. in order for that to happen, they have to feel like they can talk to you. And so ask them what they think and then really, really listen. Yeah. No, I I think that's really good. I think think focusing on the future tense as quickly as possible is also valuable, which means um, I want to avoid talking about what happened last week in the treatment room when the person questioned them and they got really upset. More, more than I have to, I'll, I'll bring it up because it gives me something specific and a specific example. But then I really don't, I'm not trying to argue with Dr. Sensitive about whether or not she was right or wrong last week. It's over, it's already done. Right. All I care about is what happens next week because that's really what matters. Yep. And so it's so funny how many people will die on that hill of trying to get the person to admit they were wrong. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Right. All that matters is that they change their behavior for the next time. Yep. And, and, you know, and so exploring that previous behavior is important because it can be effective in getting people to change their behavior. But once you say that's not working, just go ahead and, and let it go and evolve the conversation to talking about the future and where we're going. And so, you know, using words like uh, or verbiage like, um, you know, where when I look at you and your career and sort of where you're going here in the practice, the number one thing that that I see is is you moving in, into into this role or I see you, you know, I think the number one thing that would uh, that would grow you as a doctor or where I'd like to see you go as a doctor is to move more into a role of uh, being a mentor for the staff, you know. And we can talk about that. And a lot of it depends on on what her interests are. You know, does mm-hmm. she want to be a mentor for the staff? Does she want to be a leader in the practice or not? And, you know, what does she care about? And I'm going to try to use what she cares about to talk to her about her growth trajectory. But ultimately, I do want to talk about where we're going and what it means to be a good doctor in the future, mm-hmm. and what it, you know, and what it what it's going to take to have a, a rewarding career, and you know, and how how you know what we'll be looking for for her from her next year. And just say, hey, you know, here's here's the development of goals that that I have for you for the coming year, um, and this is this is very much where I'd like to see you go and the role I'd like to see you having in the hospital. Yeah. And now I'm very much future focused and talking about about growing the skills that we want to grow. Yeah. Well, and I think um, one of the mistakes that I think a lot of times we can make as a leader is um, when we have somebody who is emotionally uh, needy um, on our team. Uh, I know I have done this. It, it is easy to try and limit our interactions with them because we are hoping that if we don't feed into it, that it will stop. Right. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things, uh, from a, from a development perspective is that I, I think that's a big mistake because it doesn't work. If we're not giving them what they need, they're still going to find a way to try and have their needs met. It's human nature. And so I think one of the things that's really important to uh, to this conversation is if you don't get anywhere with the first conversation or it doesn't go uh, the way that you were hoping, I think it's really important to continue to have follow up and and try and spend more time with that person because the more time in the short term that you can spend with that person the more um of your own concrete observances you're going to be able to give back to them hey when we were working together yesterday and you did this thing with this patient i so appreciated that and here's why right like you're going to yeah. have more concrete examples to to continue to tell them I think you're a good doctor and here's an example of it because if you uh clearly there's a disconnect there in what you're saying and what they're believing and so I I think 
when we lean into spending more time with them and we give uh, someone who has more emotional needs what they need, it becomes a faster path sometimes to uh, to resolution. And and then I think on. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just I was just going to agree with you heartily. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Let me let me let me jump in here and fluff your pillows for a second and say I, what I really love about what you're saying, too, is, yes, you're spending more time with them and you get more concrete examples. And then you're using those concrete examples to positively reinforce the behaviors that we want. Yeah. And that is how you coach people. And that is how you get real behavioral change. Like think about the time that someone said something crappy to you or negative to you or gave you some hard feedback and it changed your behavior. Honestly, those times are few and far between. Right. The the times that someone said something crappy to you and you got mad at them and told them to go stick it or you didn't and you just thought about it in the shower for the next month, those times are a lot more common. If you want to get somebody to change, we know how to train simple animals and human beings are simple animals just like the pets we see. Positive reinforcement, yeah. right? Try to make as clear a link between the desired behavior and the reward as possible. That's what you're talking about is, is get some get some examples, point out the behavior that you like and pat them on the back and give them a reward, even if it's just appreciation or praise saying, that's what I'm talking about, buddy. That's how you do it. Great work. That's how you grow people. And so yeah. I, I, I love that you're putting it forward that way. Um, When so I think this is I think this part is good. Right. And we have to lean into positive reinforcement. Do you have other things? in regards to feedback that we should talk about here? Because the other piece that I want to talk about is, okay, when we're giving the positive reinforcement and we're giving them ongoing feedback and the behavior potentially is still not changing, yeah. um, or even if the behavior does start to change, we still have to address the impact to the team, right? And we still have to have accountability and put those boundaries on. And so before we move into talking about that, is there anything else about feedback that you were thinking? Sure. I mean, the big thing for me with feedback um, is um, focus focus on uh, the future, mm -hmm. focus on development, focus on positive reinforcement. Um, yeah, and and then uh, and then the big thing is um, reject. And this is just something that that came in the original question uh, was about you know one of the responses that we would get from doctor sensitive is they is that she would say, oh, you're choosing the team over me. Yeah. Or you like them more than me. You shoot, shoot that stuff down. Yeah. Uh, and, and shoot that stuff down and say, hey, we, we are all the team. We are on the same team. Yes. You know, and you can talk about balancing the needs of the team with doctor sensitive needs and say, hey, yes. it's my job to, to balance your needs and their needs. Uh, they need to feel heard and you need to feel unquestioned. Yep. And we're kind of at loggerheads here. You know, and so honestly, I'm stuck in the middle because I'm trying to balance their needs, but them not being able to be heard, that's not good for the team. Mm -hmm. It's not good for you, mm -hmm. but reject the us versus them wording when you hear it and just yeah. go, that's, that's not it. I'm not picking anyone over anyone. We are yeah. all a team. We all have to work together. We've all got to communicate it. The doctor is part of the team. Yep. And I, 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 I just like that a lot. Look, we're all a team. Everybody is in this together. The doctor is part of the team. We have all got to communicate as a team. And and, and I just cut the legs out from under that whole, you're choosing them over me sort of thing as, as much as I can. Just don't get drawn into that debate because it doesn't go anywhere and you cannot prove how you, that you like someone more than someone else and, and you don't you don't want to yeah you know that's just that's not productive for you so that is that is unproductive territory uh, i would uh, quite honestly uh you may even just ignore those comments and just go on as if you didn't hear them um because it just it's it's rarely worth engaging on that yeah i i disagree slightly I, that was where i was going to go next to with setting sure. some of the boundaries i like i agree you have to um you can't can't let the one doctor's emotional needs torpedo the whole team because that's what will right. happen right and you yep. we we create our own toxic environments when we do that so i agree but i don't think i think that um ignoring is for me is a recipe for a disaster because I'm trying to model um, the behavior that I want to see. And so one of the things that can be such a dangerous slippery slope here is that 
we all can lean into ignoring things in the hopes that it goes away. And all that usually comes from that is that it makes it a lot worse. And so this is where I would lean into saying to Dr. Sensitive, look, I recognize that everybody needs supports and everybody's going to have emotional days. And we all have bad days. There have been days when I have cried at work and I need everybody on this team to feel like they can ask for what they need. And so while we can all support each other when we need occasional emotional support, everyday outbursts in the treatment room because you don't agree with what somebody's doing is not something that's going to work for this team, right? And then you encourage them by supporting the alternative methods. This is where I meant don't step in as a therapist. Say to them, I feel like you could benefit from talking this out with somebody else who's not a part of this team, who's not in the environment, who might be able to give you some perspective that I couldn't give you in this situation, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me expand what I was saying. Because uh, cause you, you, you're exactly right. When I say... Uh, I, I would ignore it. I, I'm not talking about ignoring the behavior, right? We're coaching about the behavior and engaging. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, uh, it, to me, it's it's sort of like in, in when I when I teach negotiation, I, I always say we we don't threaten people. Got it. You know what I mean? Like we don't we don't give ultimatums and right. we don't make threats. If you don't do this, this is what will happen. And so people will say, "What do you do if someone threatens you?" And I'll say, "Ignore it." Got it. And what I mean is, go on like it does. So so yep. if I'm talking to a technician. And they're like, well, you know, well, this is going to change or else you're going to have to find yourself a new technician. Emotionally, I may have the reaction of don't you threaten me because you'll see how this goes. You didn't get I mean, it's just, I'm just right. a human being. I hope that yeah. I'm not, that's not no, my nature. I right? Totally but but if someone makes a threat, if someone threatens you, you right. probably have an emotional reaction to that. Right. Uh, from a negotiation standpoint, it's best to just ignore it, pretend yeah. that you didn't hear it and just go on to make the point that you want to make, to put forward the compromise that you want to put forward and let it go. Same thing with this. The, when the, the first time they bring up us versus it's, it's you pick them over me, we'll, we'll have that conversation. But if they continue to say, and you're just choosing them at some point, I'm not going to continue to argue with you yes. that this is not about them over you. It's about us working together as a team. At some point, I'm just not going to rise to the bait. And, but we are going to continue to have the talk about how we communicate as a team, you know, and, and how we work together and the yes. future and, and how we're going to move forward and, and the behavioral changes that we need to see in order to make all of this come together. Yeah. So that, I, that's what I mean. I didn't mean ignore the behavior and let it go. Totally. I meant don't get drawn into that debate yep. because it sidetracks you from what you're actually trying to do in, in, in this sort of coaching session. I love that. And at some point, I think that that one of the tools that's really helpful to have in your toolbox is if someone is repeatedly making the same argument or you're having the same discussion over and over again, like at, we all have bad days, right? And Dr. Sensitive, we all have to, I have had a meltdown in the treatment room. Like I've been there, done that, right? Sure. We all have. When it happens over and over again, um, particularly after you start addressing this with Dr. Sensitive, that's where, whether it's them saying you're choosing, you're taking their side over mine, or it's um, them not hearing you say, I think you're a good doctor and here's my examples. At some point, you need to just take control of the conversation and say, I'm not sure how else to reassure you that this is mm-hmm. what I believe, right? So now, yeah. and this is where the accountability parts in all comes in, because for a lot of us, we ask the question, I'm not sure what else I can do here or make the statement, I'm not sure what else I can do here. What we often forget to follow up with is, okay, here's what I need now moving forward. So I need you to think about why the reassurances or the reasonings that I have given you haven't connected, haven't clicked for you. I I need you to get curious about this because I want to see you become more self-sufficient. I want to see you solve this problem. I want to see you, whatever your outcome hope is, right? Uh, reassuring them, but also putting up the, the boundaries and giving them guidance. Like, this is on you. I need you to think about how you're going to be an active participant in solving this problem because what is unacceptable is to sit here and continue to have the same conversation over and over again because this is not productive and it's not helping anybody, right? And that's the part of the conversation that I think a lot of times we struggle with because it's hard to say that. Yeah, I I agree. So so the way I would set this part up, because I think you make a really good point. The 
the, what I want to come out of this conversation, right? so I sit down and we talk about it and we talk about where we're going in development and what I'd like to see. Ultimately, what I would like for them to do is to tell me what they're going to do differently in the future or how they are going to handle this differently going forward. And I'd like them to commit to changing their behavior yep. as opposed to me just lecturing them and them sitting quietly and then getting up and leaving. That's pretty useless and we yep. all know it. But ideally, if I do this well, I'm going to say, all right, great. Can, can we do that differently next time? You know, can you can you help me out with this, right? Can we be more open to, to hearing the feedback and engaging the staff and making sure they feel heard? Uh, can we do those things? And, the, and hopefully Dr. Zinzel will say yes, yes, right? And the behavior may persist. And what happens, where would people get stuck is that every time that there's a fight, they come in and they talk to Dr. Sensitive about this little fight. And they say, um, you... Uh, said this snarky thing to Kayla when she asked you about the drug dose. Mm -hmm. And you said this mean thing and you raised your voice when uh, when Michael asked you about this medical record and you, you know, did this other sort of path. You left this sort of passive aggressive note about, you know, about callbacks right. for the front desk. And none of those things as individual things are big enough to really take action. They're worth having a conversation about, but you go, how do you, how do you elevate this, this conversation when it's the, when the, the only thing it is is a passive aggressive note. It's a small thing, mm -hmm. but it's just by a thousand cuts, right? Because it keeps going and nothing is changing. Right. The answer is that when we're doing these coaching conversations and we say, hey, I need you to be more open with the staff and hear what they say, you know what I mean? And to make them feel heard. And you say that you can do it. And then you come back and you snap about the medical records and we have a similar conversation. Then you leave a note for the front desk. At some point, I'm not talking about you leaving a note for the front desk. I'm talking about the fact that you keep telling me you're going to change your behavior yeah. and you're not changing your behavior. Yeah. And so we're not talking about the note at the front desk. We're talking about the fourth time we've had an altercation around the staff feeling belittled. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. And now we are, now we're getting up towards the point of, of really talking about this behavior is not changing and it's continuing to cause stress and it's affecting the culture. Mm -hmm. And we're taking this as something that's become a serious problem mm -hmm. and not just a nitpicky little one-off thing. Mm -hmm. So we have to sort of tie those, those behaviors together so that we can coach on the behavior and not on each individual little way that this person has conflict with each and individual staff member. Because otherwise you're playing whack-a-mole. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Just just trying to get each little thing they do. You have to tie them together into coachable behavior. And ultimately if the problem continues and this person is telling you they're going to change, they're going to do differently, and then they don't, we need to start working to hold them accountable to that and, and to what they say they're yeah. going to do. And yeah. that's how this conversation elevates up to something more, more significant and severe. I love it. I think the the last thing for me that's really important here is that I do think that you have to address the other side of the coin, which is that your team is being impacted by this. And so I think it's really important to have a conversation. Now, obviously, the coaching conversations that you're having with Dr. Sensitive are going to be private, right? That's HR mm -hmm. 101. Yep. You don't need to go to the team and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm giving them coaching or I'm having, you know, conversations with them. But you do, I think, need specifically for the technicians who were involved in specific incidents is have a conversation with them and just tell them, hey, I see this and I want you to know that I'm working on it so that they feel supported, so that they understand that their their emotional security, their um, their level of comfort and safety within the practice matters just as much as it does to Dr. Sensitive and encourage and reinforce the positive behaviors that they were demonstrating. So thank you so much for speaking up for your patients. I, you know, I really appreciate it. And I know in the moment that Dr. Sensitive let loose on you and that had to have felt pretty crappy. And I'm sorry that that happened. I just want you to know, I appreciate you standing up for your patients and I want you to do that in the future. Like, don't let that derail it. I think that having that conversation with the team is really, really important. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Well, cool. Takeaways for me were um, 100% uh, lean, lean into coaching, uh, lean into the future. Uh, you know, we, we didn't talk about, um, you know, all of the, everything that you and I said, uh, I just want to throw here at the very end, 
is based on the assumption that um, we're getting both sides of the story. Yes. You know, and, and I think I think that that is important. I realized as we got to the end, I was like, we did make the assumption that this is actually what's happening and yeah. we're not getting just one side of the story. So let me always put that forward and say, hey, remember there's two sides to every story. Make sure you know what's going on. Uh, you know, start with uh, with what happened and just just make sure you understand everybody from the beginning because that's, that's a trick I, I definitely don't want to mix. And the yeah. last takeaway that I really just want to uh, hit on is remember, you can be compassionate and still hold people accountable. Yes. And that, my friends, that is uh, that is what we aspire to. Yep, agreed. Have a great week, everybody. Take care, everybody. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.